it astonishes people there. And I, they hear me talk about the book of Genesis, and oftentimes they'll come. And I've had, on a number of occasions, a conversation that goes something like this. People don't want to just come straight out with it, but they, you know, say, say something like, you know, it's interesting the way you were talking about that. It's almost like you, you're one of those people who, like, you know, takes the Genesis account, literally. As if to say, you seemed like such a smart man. On one occasion, I had somebody just sort of walk right into it. You know, you, you're one of these people who believes that God created the world in a week? <laughs> of course not. Did it in six days and took the last day off, brother. Six days and took the last day off. Amen. I love Vody Valcom. I just love Vody Valcom. So few people preach it so plainly as well as he does. Oh, thank you, Vody, for being so devoted to the Word of God. Welcome to Voice of Reason Radio, everybody. Chris Honholtz and Richard Story joining you on January 23rd, 2021. Well, we're almost one month in, and it's it's not getting any better, it seems. But uh, we've made it into this month where we're slowly plugging along and uh, we're grateful to have you with us. I just had to play that, Rich. I had to play that. I heard that yesterday when somebody shared it on Twitter. And I just, especially in light of our topic, it, the to topic tonight is not Vody Valcom. It is not Genesis. Sorry if I got you excited. But I love hearing a man of God so plainly and so clearly just point out the fact the word of God is the word of God and we take it for what it says. And uh, I just had to start it off with that. Vody, you are awesome, brother. I, it would be such a blessing to one day get to meet him face to face and talk to him. But yeah, you know, maybe, maybe Chef Khan, maybe Vody, if you're out there, if you're listening. Yeah, right, like you're listening. But anyway, again, welcome to Voice of Reason Radio. Thank you for joining us. So glad to have you this week. We're kind of sort of continuing from last week for in a slightly different track, but we're just grateful to have you with us. Now, if you are not familiar with our program, we are two guys from entirely different sides of the country. Uh, that'll be clear when Rich speaks. Um, <laughs> oh man, I'm going to pay for that. And, um, we are part of the Christian podcast network or Christian podcast community. I should say it's a network of podcasts where you will always find something wonderful to listen to. Despite the fact that Andrew Rappaport and Drew Von Nita are punks and just had to go messing with me yet again on, on matter of theology, because they seem to think it's funny to tease me because I've won like a couple of of uh, of book giveaways, and then Andrew just like spikes his own giveaways and makes them seem like I'm winning stuff that he's just giving me, which is a blessing. But <laughs> then they just had to go mess with me on this week. You'll have to listen to that show to hear the rest of that. But uh, they are, you know, Andrew basically kind of had created this thing along with some other folks, Drew Vonita, Chris Huff, part of Matter of Theology. Love those guys. Um, there, Chris Huff has, Chris, I don't know if you're listening. You're still supposed to schedule us. Remember? I, I don't remember if you know, I don't know if you remember this. 
you you said this was like going to happen like last year. So get on it, brother. Uh, but we were a uh, great program, wonderful stuff that they put out. Uh, this, you know, you would be blessed by all of it. Uh, Andrew's programs, of course, Rap Report, Apologetics Live, so many others. Uh, you, you know, you're going to get good stuff on there. But we are part of the Christian podcast community. We are two guys who love to have conversations about the Word of God, love to have conversations about how what we're seeing going on around us is viewed through the lens of Scripture always trying to get you to look back to the one true voice of reason, which is the Word of God. It is Scripture. We always hope to accomplish two things, which is, number one, glorify God in all that we do. Number two, edify the saints. That is our stated goal. We've been doing this for coming up pretty close to, I think, five years now, Rich. That's kind of crazy that people are still listening to us after this many years. Um, And we've just been thoroughly blessed. Now, if you have not done so, I've kind of been putting it out there because who knows what the inter- internet overtech uh, overlords and the, the big tech guys are going to let us do. If you have not done so, go to our website, slavetothekeng.com. Go find the RSS feed link. It's there. And put that into your favorite podcast app. If you are someone who likes to read articles, try and do that a little bit more. Put that uh, RSS feed into whatever feed reader you're using because... Big tech is starting to be busy about shutting up people they don't like. Christians are probably right at the top of that list next to the conservatives. And um, you sign up, by the way, you can sign up for email alerts. Do you all remember what email is? You have to have an email if you have the internet because it's the only way you can have Facebook, Twitter, and all that. You have to have an email. By the way, you probably should check your email once in a while. You've probably got 100 ads that you need to clean out, if not more. So, uh, you know, Sign up for email alerts to let you know that we have new stuff put out, whether it's a new program, a new podcast uh, episode, or uh, a new article, that you will get that information each and every time. So again, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Rich, how you doing, my brother? Well, first, um, I would like to say um, happy birthday to my baby. She will turn 24 tomorrow, and I'm like, where did the time go? Oh, my goodness. And... My baby is going to be 24, and she has two babies of her own, <laughs> and they are the corporeal light of my life. I love my grandchildren, but it just, I don't know, it just seems surreal thinking that my baby is turning 24 years old tomorrow. Man. Now, with that said, happy birthday, Miranda, if you're actually listening to this. And to answer your question, as always, I'm better than I deserve. Now, this week has been... A roller coaster. Something was posted just two or three days ago that at first brought me joy. And then I got to thinking about it and I was really, really saddened by the same post. And it's odd to be jo- be filled with joy and saddened at the same time. And what it was is a dear friend of ours and a brother who's a pastor. He posted a very short, succinct gospel presentation on Facebook. It was short, but it, it, it got right to the point. It told why we need saving. It gave the promised hope of salvation through Christ. But, you know, it, it, he, he, he pointed out the, the why, you know, about sin. You know, why is sin sinful? And then he followed with the, the, the promise. And I was really overjoyed to see that shared. And then I got to thinking about it. I'm excited to actually see a pastor sharing a gospel message 
on social media. And that got me to thinking, how often do we actually see pastors, much less brothers and sisters in Christ, actually share the gospel online? Now, granted, they may be in their private lives. They may be leaving tracts, handing out tracts. They may be sharing the gospel with other people. But we have access to technology at the moment that we can freely use, for the most part, and use it in a way that glorifies God and glorifies his kingdom by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sadly, it is the most underused portion of social media that happened, that has to be out there that, that exists. For the simple fact that I was so overjoyed to see a pastor share the gospel, that should speak volumes to everyone listening to this program tonight. And I'm both saddened, joyful, and a bit riled up over the fact that after that, I just started watching my social media feeds. There are one or two people daily that will post a gospel presentation, whether it is a link or a photo of a gospel tract, without fail. Other than that, there's nothing but crickets. And that's sad because within America especially, most Americans profess to be Christians. Sadly, that is not the case. And even those that are truly biblical Christians, so few of them are actually sharing the gospel. And it dawned on me that most of the professing Christians in this country are held up in their gospel bunkers. And sadly, more times than not, instead of being a bunker built like Mount Weather, they're living in a bunker made out of straw and sticks. They got straw on the floor and sticks over their head, and they think they're safe and sheltered because they proclaimed the name of Christ. I got news for you. And as we will demonstrate in this show tonight, our next battle, and a battle that should have been already taking place, is not going to be against the government. It's not going to be against a certain political party. Our battle is in the pews, and it started, starts now, and it should have started decades ago. And if you don't understand what I'm saying, that shows me that you've truly not went out into the world with the true gospel of Jesus Christ, explain what sin is, explain what the Bible says about sin, and share the gospel. Granted, it has been about eight years since I was blessed to be able to participate in a couple of very large outreach events. One was at the Super Bowl in New Orleans, and one was at the Kentucky Derby back in 2013, I think it was. If you want to know what the heart, what's in the heart and minds of people, go to places like that, go to the street corners, go to the streets in these larger cities and share the gospel, but not just share that watered-down gospel that makes people feel warm and fuzzy. Explain what is sin. Explain how the Bible defines sin, and I guarantee you will see the hatred firsthand of what professing Christians really feel about when it comes to Christ of the Bible and the gospel that's in the Bible and how the Bible defines sin. And there's a lot of reasons why we have gotten to this point. I looked, and currently, and this was just a short look, looking at some very pro-homosexual 
supportive websites and coalitions. They, they provide information about where you can find a homosexual LGBTQ friendly church. Within America, now keep in mind, this is not the world. This is just here in America. There are 40 denominations that not only affirm homosexuality, but believe that you can be a Christian and an active homosexual. 40 denominations. That doesn't count how many churches are within each denomination, but 40 denominations. And some of them carry some very large names in those titles. On another page, it lists 70 individual churches that are not part of these denominations, but 70 churches in the United States that support homosexuality, transgenderism, same-sex marriage, will allow a homosexual clergy person. All of which we know as biblical Christians goes against what the Bible talks about when it comes to sin, when it comes to sexual immorality. And yes, homosexuality is sexual sexual immorality, just like living with your boyfriend, living with your girlfriend, having sex outside of marriage and watching pornography. All of that is sexual immorality. And the problem is, decades ago, sexual immorality became a normal practice within American professing church to where you've got not only half the people sitting in the pews watching pornography, half of the pastors, if truth be known, are watching pornography. Now, I'm not talking about our biblical brothers that pastor solid churches. I'm talking about the American professing church. And it is a sad state of affairs when we have the largest denomination in America, the Southern Baptist Convention. It should, should put chills down your spine and cause you to drop to your knees, not only pray that this denomination gets back on the narrow path, pray and beg and plead God to put a man of the Bible at the head of this organization. Because not only is the current president promoting and encouraging sin, I'm at the point now to where I'm praying for this man's salvation. For the simple fact, he is openly embracing sin to a measure that is blaspheming the Bible and calling God a liar. And if you think that's an exaggeration, you can go to whatever search engine you use and search J.D. Greer and preferred pronouns. He has stated, and this came up in an online conversation the other day, and I provided the, the recipient a, several links discussing this, and it's out there. It's easy to find. But J.D. Greer, and this isn't new, this has happened some time back, but it fits into whatever else, you know, it fits into the whole picture of what we're currently facing, and it's not new. This has been creeping up. People have just been sitting back with blinders on. But J.D. Greer says if a person of transgender comes into his church, he will use the preferred pronoun that that person goes by. So, like, if it was a man that came in and wanted to be called a she, he would address that person as she. Well, first, that goes against Genesis. God created them male and female, period. There's no in-betweens. You don't get a choice, just like I'm either white, black, Hispanic, Asian, whatever. God determined your sexual orientation when you were born. 
Actually, he determined it prior to you even being conceived. God, in his sovereignty, predestined you to either be a man or a woman. No in-between, no it's your own opinion, whatever you want to be kind of thing. Because if I'm 53 years old, if I wanted to be considered a 15-year-old and run around with a cape and a mask on every day and be called Sir Arthur, most of you would think I'm nuts. You would think I had a mental disability, and I probably would. But yet, you know, not only is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention calling this person by their preferred pronoun, which is promoting a lie, he's, com he's enabling that person's self-deceived notion of what they are. He's calling God a liar by acknowledging it because Genesis states he made them male and female. Not to mention the fact that he's allowing this person to be a member of his church that is openly embracing sin. And that's part of the problem. Over the decades, the church has quit going out into the world to share the gospel. It's kicked the doors open, invited the world in, and attempted to make them like the gospel without ever actually explaining what sin is, the consequences of sin, why Christ died, and why embracing that sin is trampling the blood of Christ up under your feet. That's part of the problem. The church opened the doors and let the world and invited the world in. Church is for Christians. Because the Bible tells us, you go to 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about if a brother or sister is basically embracing sexual immorality, that person is embracing sin, you're to cast them out. Cast the evil person out from among you. Church was not meant as a means to profess or proclaim the gospel. Excuse me. Church was not meant to be a means to proclaim the gospel. The church was and always has been meant to teach and train the bride of Christ. Now, why would you allow a prostitute in the same door with the bride of Christ? Why would you allow someone that's actively, openly embracing their sexuality that goes against what God decreed, why would you allow them to sit among the pews with the brothers and sisters that you are commanded to shepherd? J.D. Greer is openly admitting, he's openly embracing, and he thinks this is the way that church is supposed to be done. But sadly, he's not alone in this. This is what we're looking at as professing Christians in the United States today, and it will only continue to get worse because the world loves its sin. The world has created a Christ in its mind that is okay with its sin. The world is okay with trampling the blood of Christ under its feet. The world is okay with you professing Christ as long as it's not the Christ of the Bible. Yep. The world is okay with you sharing a gospel that affirms what it likes and wants and what it believes and what it stands true to and the sins that it enjoys. But J.D. Greer and other ones like him, they're not the only ones promoting this all-inclusive, progressive, social gospel where come just as you are and stay and live in your sin. Not only will we accept you, we'll affirm what you believe, even though we know it goes against what God decrees. And that's basically where we're at tonight. Chris has a fine example, and I'm not, to make it clear, I'm not picking on J.D. Greer, but I am calling out the sin that he's embracing. I'm calling out the sin that he is denying 
in the Bible. And it's not just him, there's others. And sadly, it's at the moment, it's the prominent ones among the SBC that is the biggest problem because the SBC is still the largest denomination at the moment. And in order for the SBC to truly grow biblically, it's going to have to shrink physically. I know my brothers and sisters do not want to hear that, but that is the plain fact. Someone is going to have to be man enough and emboldened to stand firm on the Word of God enough to say to all these practices that have infiltrated the Southern Baptist Convention, leave. And that's the bare-bones truth. But Chris has some very, very great examples of what we're talking about. Chris, if you would please take it over from here. Yeah, absolutely, brother. No, first off, let me let me just agree. You know, we it, it we talked about last week the liberal as we called it insurrection within our nation. The things that are happening. I mean, we've got a we've got a president in charge of the United States now that on the day 1 signed 17 executive orders, some of which were things like uh Women or men that call themselves women—what you were just talking about—can can, are must you know that uh, schools that accept federal money and stuff they have to allow these transgender persons to compete in women's sports. Is that not evil? Absolutely. It you know the reinstating uh, basically critical race theory equity program teaching programs in the federal government. You know, um, as he as it says, number fifteen was strengthening work, workplace discrimination protection protections based on sexual orientation and gender identity. I mean, these are things that the current president of the United States did on day one, day one, and we had people, as we talked about in a previous program, you can go back and listen to it, that essentially stumped for this president. And we talked about how they paved the way for the election of an individual who is doing these things. The man just cost thousands upon thousands of people jobs by saying, no, no Keystone XL pipeline for you. Literally destroying jobs by the boatloads. And we've got people who, like Russell Moore of the ERLC, saying... Well, here's an article on how we can pray for Trump. And nowhere in there, from my from my understanding of it, was here's a man who's doing evil things. Pray that God remove him. It was fairly innocuous. James White actually talked about that on his program. Um, we've got people that are saying, like Lecrae, the, the so-called Christian rapper, it feels great to be on the right side of history. A man who has just said we need to expand abortion in America. A man who has reinstated, is going to reinstate financing to international Planned Parenthood, right side of history. And all of these evangelicals who paved the way for this, you know, you know, actually, Rich, I have there. You know, you might be amazed to hear there's an actual response. Where you know, I, I thought I should play this. This is a response from the big evangelicals who helped pave the way for this kind of evil. 
Yeah, that's the response. <laughs> Straight up bubkis. They're they're not saying anything. And it, you sh you show me where where any of these individuals are coming out and saying we were wrong to allow for this kind of thing to happen. They're just not doing we, it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, we we actually did a show, and the one purpose of that show was to have it on record so we could point back to it and yeah. remind people of the crickets that these people were proclaiming during this election year. And I will add one thing, and I'm going to let you run with it for a little bit. Better to be on the Christ side of God's wrath than the right side of history. Amen. Just remember that. Amen. Um, and I always find it interesting, the right side of history. How do you know it's the right side of history until it becomes his history? Uh, be interesting to see what actual history 100 years from now records of this time. I don't think it'll be kind. Anyway, that being said, so we're watching, we, we talked about this, the, 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 the pagan, heathen, unregenerate, liberal leftist practices last time that are this liberal insurrection in our, in our, um, in our nation. But what, we're, what we need to also talk about is the capitulation on the part of high-profile evangelicals who are doing just that. And Rich, you started off with a powerhouse punch to the, to the gut on this particular one. Uh, the man who would call himself the, you know, the president of the SBC, praise God for this, this summer when that comes to an end. He managed to squeeze out another year thanks to COVID. Um, and I'm sorry, yes, I, I'm sorry, we've watched enough of J.D. Greer. I am going to say praise God that he's, when he finally can no longer be in that position. And that the limelight is, the spotlight is off of him. And the impact that he's caused in the SBC. He is, you know, it's funny. People like Tom Askell and Tom Buck and Jared Longshore and all these other guys, they get hammered for being divisive. The reason there is division is because of people like J.D. Greer who want to bring in outside ideologies and incorporate them into scripture and say, we need to do this. To you know, allow someone to live in their delusion, to live in their sin so that they're comfortable while you apparently preach the gospel. And here's a clue, Mr. Greer. When you get to the part that says God made them man and woman. How are you going to now deal with that? When they're sitting in their pew and they're going, I'm a her. I mean, I've got a five o'clock shadow and my biological, you know, uh, makeup is male, but I, I'm a her. And then you get to the part that says God made them male and female. God made them male and female. How do, you, how do you deal with that and not make them uncomfortable at that point? You're going to have to do it at some point. And to capitulate on that and to make that part of the Christian practice, to uh, import this outside ideology, is absolutely beyond the pale. How dare you? How dare you call yourself a preacher of the word of God and reject because you don't want to make someone uncomfortable God's word on this matter. Well, it's only going to get worse, Rich. I, I really think it's only going to get worse. And we're seeing this more and more. We're starting to see... we the, the world outside the Christian church, 
loves to, to be able to tell us, well, you should be more loving because it has its own definition of loving. And it means don't ever tell me I'm sinning. And we get that. We expect that. They're outside of Christ. They don't understand the scriptures. They understand enough that it convicts them and they hate it for it. So they don't want it. I expect that from the world. Within the church, that's where the bigger problem comes in. Now, I'm going to mention a name that nobody likes to hear a lot of times because if you if you follow this person and you think she's the best thing since sliced bread, you're going to hate the fact that I'm bringing her up. If if I if you agree with us and and recognize this is a person who should not be in a pulpit ever, uh, hearing her name is probably going to be like fingernails on a chalkboard. But that name is Beth Moore. Yeah, I'm giving you a second to catch your breath. Oh no, not this again. But Beth Moore, uh, in now two deleted tweets, which if you're if you're getting good at this, you understand, screenshot, save, put it off to the side because this stuff likes to disappear. Beth Moore responded to an individual on Twitter, and I'll leave him out of it because I don't know him from Adam. But he, it was an individual on Twitter who had simply been talking about the SBC and talking about the very divisive things that we're talking about in a derogatory way, I believe, and toward people that are calling for um, more biblical understanding of things. And so this individual simply wrote something. The uh, Here it is. Uh, Consider this. We are a denomination that considers itself biblically faithful. How is it then that our understanding of unity rejects the insights of pastors of color and our application of church autonomy protects abusers and silences survivors? Something's wrong here. So we've heard this before. You know, if, if you tell someone uh, who, who is a, a black man within the SBC, uh, critical race theory is bad, you shouldn't be preaching it, um, you, you're silencing them. And I'll get on into that in a little bit. And church autonomy, autonomy protects abusers and silences survivors. That is such a broad... We talked about that. Was it last year when we were talking about the cases out of Texas, I think, Rich? And Actually, I think it was two years ago Was now. it two years? My goodness. Time is really flying. I think it was, I think it was back in 2018. Oh, that goodness. That about the time J.D. Greer took office. Because it was somewhere right around that time because that was one of his big... Yeah, 2018, 2019, somewhere in there. I'd have to go back and look it up. But it's this. we talked about how it's a very broad-brushed application that in these local churches that had had this happen, and it was terrible, and it should be dealt with. And I, any church, we'll say this again, I know we said this in the show, if you get an allegation that someone is, has done something sexually harmful to another person, you call the police and get them involved. Okay, you don't just go, well, let's... F-. No, no, get the police and get them involved. If there's nothing that can prove it, then nothing can be proved. But you've done your due diligence, okay? You've done what is right. And unfortunately, those were situations where they, it's gotten away from. And it happens in churches. It, it's sad. It happens because abusers know that Christians are people that believe in forgiveness. Christians are people that go, well, we should deal with this within the church and deal with it a certain way. So abusers like to come to churches because they think they can play people, and they do. Um, and it's it's a sad thing that it happens. But this is an individual who is saying, well, church autonomy protects abusers, and it silences victims. I think it's very broad brush, and it needs a lot more discussion than just some silly little tweet that kind of attacks the SBC as a whole and demands that somehow the SBC over arching umbrella entity should somehow get involved directly with these cases. So 
that that was the framework for which uh, Beth Moore jumped into this discussion. She had two tweets. Now, she she starts off by saying, referring to Dwight's article. She's talking about Dwight McKissick. Dwight McKissick uh, wrote an article about he's pulling out of the SBC, and basically it it boiled down to SBC uh, seminary past or seminary presidents made a condemning statement regarding critical race theory. And he relates a, a earlier uh, period in his, uh, his his pastoral ministry where a particular president condemned uh, something that he said at chapel at at the uh, seminary, and uh, because it was with regard to uh, the SBC shouldn't be preventing people who want to pray in tongues from being out on the mission field, and uh, that message was pulled, and he felt hurt by that. And yet he stayed. Well, now the same thing is happening with critical race theory, and now that's be now that could have impact on us and and churches to believe it have some some level of uh something redeeming to it, even if we don't agree with everything. That was his his case. So that's it. I'm done. I'm pulling out of the SBC. Well, I have a question for you. Yeah, and, but you're you're more than likely not going to have an answer. <laughs> but I'm just going to throw this out there anyway. The SBC denies that the charismatic gifts still exist. But yet, over the decades, it has added more and more and more churches that adhere to charismatic practices. My question is, why? My question is, will the next president of the SBC go back and stand on the Word of God and say, if you believe this, you're gone. Get out of here. Dwight McKissick has always been a very openly charismatic person and should have never been admitted to the SBC to begin with, much less some of these others. And guess what? Beth Moore is a charismatic, quote-unquote, preacher. J.D. Greer is charismatic light, meaning that he just kind of rides the fence. So are some of these other ones that we're discussing and talking about. My my answer, if you want to leave, see you. We won't miss you. Well, I, I honestly, to answer your question, this is speculation on my part, but I think it's speculation backed up by, I think, fairly decent observation, is the SBC want, uh, wants to save it the, the, the drastic hemorrhaging problem that it has as uh, the younger generation isn't sticking around. And if you were to actually stay to what things like the Baptist faith and message teach. And I, I agree with people like Alan Nelson, Baptist faith and message isn't going to be sufficient anymore because you got people like Dwight McKissick who, oh, I, I adhere to the, <laughs> the Baptist faith and message and is about as liberal as you come. So I, I, I agree with Alan Nelson on this, that Baptist faith and message is not really going to be sufficient anymore. You're going to have to plus that up. But I think it's because if they didn't, the SBC would be a much smaller entity than what it is right now. By allowing this in, they get to maintain that those those biggest uh, you know evangelical uh, church in America numbers. So that's my opinion. Um, but anyway, that's that's getting a little bit sidetracked. So anyway, just so you understand, there's context to what Beth Moore is referring to here. Um, she responds to this particular post and says. Dwight's article answers uh, your question in his examples about preaching on spiritual gifts. He could cite how forbidding people to speak in tongues was utterly uh, utterly unbiblical, yet he was censored. I will challenge Beth Moore on that. 
No, that was not uh, proven to be utterly unbiblical, but we'll get into that. Um, by biblical, and she puts in finger, uh, and she puts in those scare quotes. By biblical, we means of the part we mean the parts of the Bible we like, and the parts of the Bible, and the parts of the Bible like us. Okay, that's tweet number one. There's a second one that just went absolutely viral, and I believe that's this is actually why she pulled it. Number one, she's saying the first part of Dwight's article talks about when he, you know, forbidding of preaching, uh, uh, pray, uh, praying in or speaking in tongues was unbiblical. So she's saying it's it's not biblical to prevent people from doing that. Well, there's actually there's reasons why where you could actually have a biblical argument, and I'll t- I've actually got this in my notes here. When it comes to that issue, because Paul talked about saying, don't speak in tongues if. So the idea that to say it's utterly unbiblical, it reveals the fact that Beth has zero understanding of what the Bible actually says. Not in an exegetical, hermeneutical fashion. When she says, when we say biblical with those big air quotes, scare quotes that she puts up, she's saying, well, that's the parts we like, meaning the SBC, the conservatives, etc. She's being very derogatory. And the point is, is that those of us who hold to a biblical understanding of Scripture understand that the Bible interprets itself. We don't bring outside information in to understand the Bible. Now, understanding things like history, customs, and stuff like that gives understanding to Scripture because it helps us understand why something would be written to a certain people at a certain place at a certain time. That gives, that gives a fuller picture, but you can read the Bible and understand it you do not necessarily have to have that information, but it fulfill it, it certainly uh, paints in the rest of the out uh, the picture, so to speak. It gives a fuller understanding, but that's different than having an outside ideology that is anti-biblical, anti-Christ, anti-God, and bringing that in and using that. Beth is trying to insinuate that if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you say, for example. There's, there's a, a biblical argument for cessationism, which is we believe the charismatic gifts are no longer in operation, and we are a denomination that says you can't do that. That's, that's somehow unbiblical. And she says that's, that's just you imposing yourself on Scripture. So that's, that's tweet number one. Tweet number two is what I want to address, because I honestly believe, and I'll, and I'll kind of clarify this at the end, I honestly believe that what Beth is doing is what a lot of evangelicals are doing. And they are appealing to the outside world using outside ideologies and then are trying to change the definition of biblical. And that's what we're going to see going forward. I mean, it's been going on for a long time. We know that. But especially now, as we live in a time and age when, I mean, there are people right now who are complaining that Biden is putting, quote, transgender men back in women's sports. He said he was going to do this. How did you not see this? Because you didn't look. You didn't care to look. Orange man bad. He may, he puts bad tweets. Got to vote against him. Put in Biden. Biden nice. Except for the fact that there's a ton of history about that he's a liar. He's a racist. And here's all the things that he does actually want to do that's unbiblical. So... This is the world we now live in, and uh, appearance over substance is a huge issue. That's what actually helped this last election occur. So here's what Beth says, and I'm going to break down each of the points the, the way I see it. Here's my point. Have the guts to say you don't 
want certain things in your institutions. You don't want any charismatic practices. You don't want women in leadership. You don't want people of color in powerful positions. Fine. Own it and go on. But don't say you're biblical. Boom! And I think I just blew eardrums out. Sorry. That was a sonic boom when that dropped. And that's why she's pulled it. Okay, that's why she's pulled it. She actually, uh, her answer for why she's pulled it uh, was a short time later. She told the guy, I'm going to delete my replies in your timeline for your sake. I'm so sorry you got caught and uh, you got in the middle of my stuff. I, I, I just love Dwight so much and I couldn't keep my mouth shut. That was her response to this. I had to go, I was going to look it because I wanted to put the tweets in our show notes. I can't because Beth pulled them. And Beth does that if you know anything about her books. Uh, so she pulled her own tweets, but she dropped a sonic boom on the internet when she said these three things. That if you don't want charismatic practices, you're not biblical. If you don't want women in leadership, you're not biblical. If you don't want people of colorful color in powerful positions, you're not biblical. That was a punch in the face to godly men and women across all of evangelicalism in America. And she got hammered for it. Rightfully so. I mean, full on slam dunk hammered. So, Rich, before I go into those points, I mean, you hear that. You hear someone say these three points, which have been issues that have been discussed for a long time now. It's not like they just popped up yesterday. She says if you believe against what she believes, you're unbiblical. Does that, is that what you're hearing? Absolutely. And I have to agree with her. At least the first two of those about charismatic and Women preachers? No, I don't want them in the SBC, not because I hate women or because I hate anyone that speaks in tongues. It's because it's unbiblical. Okay. Women, women, oh. women are not to teach men. Now, the third one, depending on your point of view, may or may not be true. If you do not want someone being your pastor or you do not want someone to be the president of the SBC or whatever, because of their skin color, then that's hatred. Yes, that is a sin. But guess what? It goes both ways. If you hate someone because they're white, that's just as sinful as hating someone because they're black. Amen. Amen. But see, the interesting thing in here is that Beth is not talking about not wanting a person in that position because they're black. And I'll get into what she's referring to. And I don't know why, but if you're hearing a strange sound right now, somebody in my family has decided to start printing things off while I'm trying to record a, a <laughs> podcast. So I, I, the printer's right next to my computer. If you hear the sound, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't stop that at the moment. Um, all right, so let's, let's address these point by point. Understand, Beth has said, if you are against charismatic practices, you're unbiblical. If, you're, if you are a denomination that says, we are cessationists, therefore do not bring charismatic practices into the church, you're unbiblical. So let's talk about that. Let me first ask you this, Beth. Uh, are you talking about those charismatic practices like the uh, hearing God's voice tell you to brush a man's hair? Because you are really well known for the the conversations you seem to have with God. Is that what you're talking about? Because that I would love to to get into that discussion with you at some point. So... 
there has been an ongoing debate between continuationism and cessationism. Continuationism says the charismatic practices that we, uh, the charismatic gifts of the Spirit that we see in the book of Acts, the, the speaking in tongues, such as what happened at Pentecost, healings, the ability to prophesy and, and speak, uh, speak what is um, going to be tell- happening in the future, uh, those type of things, you know, those miracle gifts that they are still ongoing for today. Cessationism is basically saying that those those particular gifts were for a time. This doesn't mean that God doesn't operate in the realm of miracles, that God doesn't ever do miracles ever again, which is a mischaracterization of cessationism that continuationists often used. But cessationism says that is not the means by which God is communicating his message to the world that that period of time was for the authentication of the message, primarily because the canon of scripture had not yet been completed. So what Beth is saying is you have a denomination, as you said, Rich, SBC is primarily cessationist, but if you tell someone who has joined the SBC out on the mission field, don't pray in tongues because we do not promote continuationism, that you are being unbiblical. Again, if you read Dwight McKissick's you know, uh, blog article, and I'll put that in the show notes, his big issue is he believed in that, and he said, uh, you know, he said in this in this chapel message, this is wrong. It should not, we should not be doing this. And he's saying this to people at that seminary in their chapel service, this is wrong. For a denomination that doesn't believe in continuationism. And he's offended because he's rebuked for it and the message is pulled from their archive, which was later put back, by the way. So, how explain this to me, Beth, how it is you can jump into a, a denomination that has a biblical argument for cessationism and demand continuationism. How is that biblical? It's not an issue of telling people if you're a, if you believe in charismatic gifts you're not saved. Now there are people who would think that way. But that was not the issue in, in Dwight's article. It was this is a cessationist denomination. And there is a biblical argument for it. And let me go over some of those with you. Okay? 2 Timothy 3:16-17 tells us that scripture is sufficient for our Christian walk and practice. We have everything we need in Scripture. Paul tells this to Timothy. He doesn't say, go out and practice the miracle uh, works. He says that we are to go to Scripture. It is sufficient for what we need to, to teach, to rebuke, to correct, to equip. So Paul is teaching this young pastor not to practice gifts, but to in fact preach the word. But let's just say for a moment that you believe the charismatic gifts are, in fact, uh, it's questionable whether they sh- they have ended. Well, let me let me bring something to your mind. Charismatic gifts, whether you're talking things that the prophets did in the Old Testament or you're talking the New Testament gifts, were limited how to in, in how and when they were used. For example, prophets primarily spoke, "Thus saith the Lord," rather than any kind of predictive future outcomes. 
They went and called people. I mean, if you spend, look at the major prophets, look at Ezekiel, look at Jeremiah, look at Isaiah, all of these condemnations of sin, all of this come back you know, to, to the Lord and be obedient to his word throughout, throughout their books. And yes, there were predictions of judgment from God. Not personal revelations like, go brush this man's hair. So those predictions, those prophecy revelations were for the coming judgment, for the people being dispersed uh, out into, uh, or sent out into captivity, the reclaiming of Israel back into the land, the the coming of the Messiah, the the writing of the law on the people's hearts, that God would enter into personal relationship, no longer a covenant with a nation, but individual salvation. That's what the prophets spoke. And yes, they did miracles, but again, look at the the characteristic of throughout the, the, the Old Testament books of history. More times they are preaching than they are ever doing miracles. There was a limit to the point of the miracles. They authenticated the messenger, not the me- they weren't the message themselves. Go to the book of Acts and the apostles who spent so much more time preaching than they ever did speaking in tongues, healing the sick, giving any uh, you know future revelation. Prophets uh, also, just going back to the Old Testament, were to speak only that which God gave them. Okay, they had to specifically say what God said. And when they when God revealed to them, they were to give it to the people. This wasn't some sort of personal revelation, but rather revealing to the people. And if a prophet did give a message that was not of God, and it was, he, 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 hey, hey, I have a revelation from God. This is going to happen. God said, watch what they say. If it doesn't come to pass, you're not to listen to him. Go to Exodus 18.22. Go to Jeremiah 14.14. False prophets were to be rejected. Full on rejected. And guess what? There's a whole host of them that ought to be just, you know, mm, thrown out into the street and stoned because they all predicted that uh, Trump was going to win. And every one of them was a false prophet. And you got some of them say, well, I'm not a false prophet. I'm trying to understand this. No, no, no. God made it very clear. If they say it and it doesn't happen, they're a false prophet. You don't fear them. You don't listen to them. And then he also went one step further. Exodus 13 uh, verses 1 through 15 talks about if a false prophet came and he said, this is going to happen. And it does. But then he says, okay, now that shows I'm a true prophet. Let's go worship idols. God was putting his people to the test. So what was the, you know, you had two, it was a two-pronged test. He, he might have guessed it. God might have let him have a little insight to get it right. So they could put his people to the test. Why? So what, you know, to see if they would go follow this person to worship idols. Why would they know not to follow this man? Because God's word says, don't worship any God but God. It was a test. And if the prophet tried to lead them to worship idols, they were to be put to death. Let's go back to the New Testament. Paul, I said this earlier when it comes to the issue of, uh, of tongues. Paul stated that the use of the gift of tongues were limited. That when you were in a gathering, go to 1 Corinthians 14, 26-32 and verse 40. 
He said, when you get together, he gave structure to the, the, the coming together of the saints for prayer, for worship, for you know, prophecy, forth-telling. And he said, if anyone can speak in tongues, but there's not an interpreter, you don't speak. Everything was to be done and decently in order. There was limitation. So let's, let's get this right. The primary purpose of Scripture is to teach us the actual Word of God, and throughout Scripture, gifts were given in certain instances to reinforce the fact that the message being given was the Word of God, and that it was the Word, not the gifts, to be focused on. And yet Beth, Rich, this is what blows my mind, Beth comes back and says, well, it's utterly unbiblical to tell someone they can't pray in tongues. And yet we see throughout Scripture where there are limitations at best and outright uh, told not to at, at, at its absolute uh, height. And the emphasis is on the preaching of the Word of God. So for Beth to make this kind of claim, she's using something that's outside of Scripture to tell us what is scriptural because it offended somebody. It offended Dwight McKissick. It offended others who are charismatic. But she tries to make a claim that it's unbiblical for a denomination who believes in cessationism on biblical grounds tell them, don't practice this. So that's that was the first of her things. Rich, before I go on, did you have any thoughts on that? Well, I may be jumping ahead a little bit, but two of these issues for sure the first thought is, well, if you know that the SBC believes this and you disagree with it, why would you want to be a member to begin with? Mm-hmm. And if you don't agree with it, don't become a member. But the point I think we'll end up making is don't join, but you know, in addition to don't join, don't bring false teachings into the denomination. And ultimately, that's where we're heading in this mm-hmm. discussion. I, I absolutely agree. So let's take our second point. You don't want um, women in leadership. Now, this has been a sticking point for Beth for a long time. Um, she, it's, it's quite clear what Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 3, or 34 through 35, 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15. G- Paul who get and this is for all those liberal uh, li- listeners who like we have a bunch whose ears are burning and they're feeling steam rise up inside cuz i say paul said um jesus isn't paul to quote joey micah uh yeah but paul was appointed by god who is who is christ who told him this is what i'm going to have you do this is what i'm going to have you happen to you and here are the things you're going to say uh, everything Paul wrote, even acknowledged by the other apostle Peter, is scripture. Everything we have in scripture is scripture. It's divine. It's it's God breathed. So when Paul says this, it's God speaking. You got to get over that. Okay, deal with that. All right. So Paul makes it clear: women are not to have roles of authority over men. They are not to speak in church. Not meaning they can't speak in general, but not stand up and get into uh, teaching rebuking, correcting, question-asking discussions because they're putting themselves in a position. They're not to have authority over men in the church. And Paul gives a 
reason for this. It's not a cultural thing. It actually goes back to the creation mandate. Okay, so God has roles. Here's the problem, is that he does not in any way, shape, or form prevent women from serving in the church. He just says this particular role has a reason and a purpose because it is reflective of Christ's relationship with the church. When the man steps up there to preach, he is acting as uh, the Christ over the church. He is not Christ. He is not another Christ. He's not like the Catholic redefinition. He has a role that he is portraying to the world at large. So, Hey, brother. Yes. I'd like to make a point that connects where you're at now to what I said at the beginning of this show. One reason so many are jumping on this transgender preferred pronoun bandwagon is because you have so many that think like Beth Moore. Yeah. If, if you can use a preferred pronoun and a he can be a she or a she can be a he, then that opens what you're talking about up to where anyone can get up there and teach the Word of God. Women can teach to men. Men can teach to women. You know, mm-hmm. the, the transgenders, they should be allowed to preach. It's opening a door to all types of heresies that the Bible deems as sin. Yeah. And we're, we're slowly getting there. Exactly. So, and we're almost actually an hour into this show. So I need to, I need to move a little bit more quickly and wrap, you know, get, start wrapping this up, which is hard to do. So feminism is an outside uh, godless ideology. It is not something you would birth from the study of scripture. And so feminists like to claim that a distinction where women are allowed to teach other women, women are allowed to teach their children and other kids, that which is an amazing role, by the way. Um, They like to claim that that's the the distinction, which says women have this role when it comes to the teaching and rearing of, of, of other women and children, and men have this role. They say that's a distinction that relegates them to second class persons in the church. Um, That's utter nonsense. I mean, stop and think for a second. I don't care whether it's one person, a hundred people, or a million people. When you have the privilege of being used by God to expound upon the word to anyone, God is using a busted, nasty, broken piece of pottery used for unclean purposes, has cleaned it up, and has used you as his tool to speak truth into the life of another person or persons. How dare we assume that if you can't preach to one particular group of people, that that's insufficient? Because guess what? None of us have that right. None of us have that uh, you know, uh, privilege of our own accord. It is because God, in his great mercy, has redeemed vile, nasty rebels and then says, I'm going to give you some work to do. And any work he gives us is for his purposes, his glory. So how dare we say it's of lesser value? How on earth is preaching the gospel to any person a lesser value? God put roles in place because he has an overarching uh, thing that he's trying to reveal to the world, and you are part of it. How dare you say it makes you second class? 
And speaking of children, I mean, think about it. You are teaching the next generation of believers. You're raising them up so that they will one day do what you're doing. How is that a second-class act? And women, when you minister to younger women, Titus 2, 3-5, through 5, when you minister to younger women, teaching them how to honor God, to love their husbands, how to serve God in the manner he has prescribed, how can you call that second-class? That's just absolutely absurd that you would believe that God is not being fair because you can't stand in a pulpit? You're doing the same work. No one has said you can't exegete scripture to younger children. No one has said you can't exegete scripture to younger women. No one has said you can't have a robust understanding of the word of God. What they have said is that, as Paul has revealed it in his word, is that you have a role that you are performing in that God has given to you. How dare you suggest that it's insufficient unless you can have this spotlight position? Hey, let me give you a, a big clue. Most of us men ain't qualified either. Feminism is an outside, godless ideology. It is a cancer on society to begin with. But it is an outside ideology that stands against in contradiction to Scripture. It claims that women cannot be truly equal unless they have all the same power and authority as men. That is not what God has commanded. That is not what God has revealed in His Word. It, it, the, the, the weird thing is, even in the most modern forms of feminism, that they're saying men, especially white men, are the oppressors and women actually are better leaders, better teachers because of standpoint epistemology, which means because they women have been oppressed, they have special access to knowledge. I'm not kidding. That's what they teach. That's what this is. And there are some people who say that men are all the problem and women should be leading everything because they are actually wiser and better. That's what egalitarianism is born out of. Egalitarianism saying men and women are not really equal in the church unless women can do all the things that men are doing. And they use these insane, I shouldn't say insane, but they use these examples from scripture that are descriptive to say this counters what Paul taught, which is Deborah as a judge, uh, you know, the adulterous woman at the well, Mary telling the disciples about the risen Christ, Priscilla and Aquila teaching, about, uh, teaching Apollos, uh, the prophetesses described in Acts. They, they use these as some sort of counter to scripture from Scripture to counter Scripture, which is not what Scripture is to be used for. They use the Bible to compete against itself. Well, let me let me just address that for a second. Scripture is understood within its own context. There's no command that women cannot have theological discussions in mixed crowds. So Priscilla and Aquila, for example. There's nothing saying that a woman cannot even correct another man should he espouse a wrong theological doctrine. So if I'm having a discussion, um, let's let's say that when we we had the blessed opportunity to to go to the conference in Indianapolis, and we got to drive around Michelle Leslie and my wife and she and I were having dinner together and we're talking, and I say something and 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 uh, Michelle were to say actually Chris you know Scripture says this 
Has she sinned? No, she's not sinned. She's not holding authority over me. She's having a discussion with me about the things of God. And I'm going, wow, Michelle, you're right. I forgot about that. I didn't think about it in that context. Thanks for bringing that up. Priscilla and Aquila talked to Apollos because Apollos did not know about Christ, did not know the risen Christ, and did not have a a full understanding of the gospel. And they taught him. This was not a church setting. This was not her having authority over him. This was them coming alongside and helping disciple, and she was doing it with her husband, by the way. The rest of them are descriptive encounters. Mary, for example, telling the disciples Christ was risen. She didn't expound scripture to them. She didn't lead them in a prayer meeting. She didn't take charge of them and say, go do this and do that, and here's what you you need to do in the name of Christ. She told them what she saw. It was a descriptive text. Deborah was a judge as a judgment on Israel. There were no men that would lead. She even was sent to a man, Barak, go in battle and defeat these guys. Barak says, not without you. It was a judgment. It was a judgment on the land that she led. But again, it describes what God did. It was not prescriptive that therefore women must now lead. When you're talking about the woman at the well, again, she goes and says, tell to look at, come meet the, the man that has told me all these things that I have ever done. Descriptive of what she has done. No prescriptive you know, uh, doctrine comes out of that. Nothing saying whether what she did was right or wrong. Just saying, this is what she did in her excitement. These are descriptive passages. They don't tell you, therefore go and do likewise. But they will use it to beat up on Paul and call him a bigot and say, well, Paul was was not speaking for God or Paul was talking about a cultural thing. And yet, here's Beth Moore saying, you're not biblical if you don't want women in positions of power. That's There's biblical understanding here. There's You go to every one of these passages and then you read them in their context and then you go and look at what Paul said show me where there's actual contradiction where Paul is wrong. You can't. You have to bring in an outside ideology which is not found in scripture which says men and women are so equal that that the only way that they can really truly be equal in society is if women and men do the exact same things and, and men sit under women. That's unbiblical. Not what Beth said. Beth is wrong. It is biblical to stand on the word of God in its entirety and reject what she has to say. Third point. Rich, any thoughts on that before I go to third point? Well, go ahead with your third point, and I'll ask a follow-up question when you finish. Okay. So third point. People of color in powerful positions. This was the meat, uh, I believe, of what she was getting at. Because she says the reason she pulled it is she was upset about uh, what people were saying about Dwight and what Dwight was going through and, and that Dwight was pulling out of the SBC. So this is the thing she was really aiming at. She was using those others as the foil to come to this one. You don't want people of colorful color in powerful positions. Uh, first off, that's a bullface lie. That's just a bullface lie. Beth knows better than that. She's not an unintelligent woman. She knows better than that. 
Beth has been on this woke train for a little while now. Rich, you remember when we had Michelle Leslie on, and we were actually starting to see this happen. We asked her, "Is this is she is she becoming woke? Is she is she doing?" And it was Michelle Leslie that pointed out, and I think a really good observation that meth. Oh my goodness, Beth. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh man, everything I just said is going to get totally taken out of context because I slipped a, slipped my tongue. Beth is one of these people that's kind of like a chameleon. She she morphs to whatever environment she will get into that can keep her brand moving forward. And woke ideology has fit that because of the whole oppressor-oppressed thing. She's morphed to that ideology, and I think it really fits with what she's been trying to do. Now, woke ideology, we've talked about this on the show, and if you've ever listened to Just Thinking, who does a much better job than we can ever do, um, that's born out of critical race theory. Okay, critical race theory is born out of is kind of an amalgamation of things like postmodern theology or post postmodern philosophy and like Marxist theory and stuff like that. If you want a really good and it's a secular book, by the way, it's not a it's not a Christian book at all. I think the the guy who wrote it, James Lindsay, if I remember right, somebody said he's a he's an atheist, actually. But it's a secular understanding of of, of what the book is called cynical theories and it's dealing with a, a lot of the social justice theory things like critical race theory gender theory queer theory etc and it gives a great history of how we went from postmodernism to what he calls applied postmodernism which is woke uh critical race theory gender uh, theory stuff like that so but i'm about not quite a quarter away into the book and it's 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 a heady read but it's it's not it's approach it's approachable the actual the average person can read it but I, I would recommend you you start reading that but critical theory critical race theory woke ideology outside you don't get this from scripture it's totally born out of secular ideology okay it, it is it, it it comes out of things like Marxism Frankfurt school postmodernism etc all of which are totally contradictory to scripture that's where this all comes from so this idea of oppressor oppressed groups language being used to oppress others not being able to truly understand knowledge oppressed people have a special knowledge all of that is outside the bible it is not biblical it is an outside ideology tom askell rightly calls it a godless ideology so that is where this woke ideology comes from. It is a worldly ideology. It places people in groups of oppressor and oppressed, and it's usually white male heterosexual is the default oppressor group in America. So that, that white male heterosexual covers everything. Covers transgenderism, covers uh, sexual perversion, covers uh, queer theory, gender theory, uh, you know, critical race theory. Woke, you, you are, if you are white, heterosexual male you are the top of the oppressor list okay women and people of color of color are typically the fall into the oppressed group critical theory has been gaining as we've talked about so much and i know this makes everybody's head spinning and sometimes we're getting tired of it but it really is the foil that's being used to introduce godlessness into the church it's, it's great, gained so much traction because it is co-opted terms such as racism, sexism, oppression, and justice. And believe me, that is intentional, okay? 
remember, postmodernism was you can't really know anything. You know, we there there may be an objective reality out there, but we can't know it because language is insufficient. In fact, language is used to uh, oppress people so that they their definitions of things of what reality really is, which is all somehow magically made in a cultural setting. Where we had that meeting to make that happen, I've never been able to figure out. But it's it's cultural, it's 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 localized. Nobody has a lock on knowledge, but language is used to oppress. And so postmodernism says you have to disrupt that and tear things down. Of course, postmodernism was really bad at rebuilding things, so you don't get anything built back up. Theory, critical theory and such, decided to bring a activism into it and said, we need to find a way to build things up. But to do that, we have to have some sort of objective reality. So there is a way to know that at least oppressor or oppressive groups occur. And here's how, what we need to do to rebuild things. So that's kind of like the nutshell of what I'm learning right now. And it's it's a lot of information. It's like taking a drink from a fire hose. But that's... Hey, brother. Yes, yes, yes. I was just going to point out, and you finish your thought, but um, I was going to ask, Everything we've discussed tonight, how does it apply to the progressive liberal insurrection of the church? And you just summed it up, and I know you're about to, to finish your comment, but I just found it interesting. You were actually giving the answer before I gave the question. <laughs> Uh, sorry. Hey, that's, you know, we're on the same train here. You know, we're actually moving in the same direction. So I guess that should happen once in a while. <laughs> okay, so... Critical theory has co-opted the terms such as racism, sexism, oppression, justice. It's taken those terms and through that de you know, uh, deconstruction, broken them down, given them new meanings, built them back up and says, hey, God is against racism. God is against sexism. He hates injustice. He hates oppression. He, so you need to believe this. And without understanding... What they've done, a lot of people have bought into it. Now, I don't believe Beth has bought into it. I believe Beth knows exactly what she's doing. She knows it's not a, a, a true understanding of biblical uh, you know, justice and such. I think she's used it to build up her brand, as as we've seen her do so many times. But I will say, I will say this real quick. Yeah, with with everything that you and I know that Beth has said and the positions she has taken on certain issues. Honestly, she would be a better fit for the African Methodist Episcopal Church of America, <laughs> which happens to be the largest black denomination and is part of the Black Church Alliance. She would fit perfectly with their theology and ideology. But my question is, I wonder if even they would allow her to be a bishop or to teach in their church. I don't think she's woke enough. I doubt it. <laughs> I seriously doubt it. I don't think she's woke enough. Okay, so what? It, what? Why does that have anything to do with what Beth said about not wanting people of color in powerful positions? Well, we just talked about Dwight McKissick's article, and how he believes that critical race theory. Now, interesting thing is that, and I think he gives a little bit of a tell. Let me quote this so I say it right. Um, Dwight claims to not believe critical race theory in its entirety. Okay. So let me see if I can find this quote. He believes that it has some redeeming value. And I'm going to have a hard time finding that quote because this is really small print. Here, he says, There are certain aspects of CRT I also disagree with. For instance, if, and this is where I think he tips his hand, if it is an accurate representation of uh, CRT teachings that only whites can be racist, Dwight, 
go read White Fragility. That's exactly what she it says. Um, he says, I totally disagree with that pre uh, premise. Racism is a sin, and there is not one sin a black person is incapable of committing, including racism. Now, I... Awesome. I, I'm glad you believe that, but I believe he doesn't believe that's what critical race theory teaches. I think he believes that is a uh, smokescreen that we've used to, you know, say that critical race theory is a bad idea. Um, go read the books, Dwight. That is what they're saying. Go go read the people who are or, or who are saying these things. That you know, go go look at the conversations that are happening. You know, black people can't be racist. It's said over and over again, and it is born out of critical race theory, which says. Whites are the oppressor group. People of color are the oppressed group. Therefore, racism is a function. It is the default uh, existence of the oppressor group against the oppressed group. And only the oppressor group can be racist because they're the oppressor group. And so I'm glad that he says that, but I think he's couched it so that he can kind of dodge that later if he needs to. But then he goes on to say that he believes, uh, quote, however, there are beneficial aspects of critical race theory that cannot be denied. So he believes critical race theory, even though uh, it is, you know, teaching certain things that he does not believe are true, which I would wonder just how much he really doesn't believe. But he says there's beneficial and redeeming aspects of it. So he, that's what she's pointing to is, here's what's going on. You've got people that are saying critical race theory, and this is why Dwight McKissick left the SBC, that critical race theory is godless and it has nowhere in the uh, place in the Christian life. It is contradictory to scripture. And if you're teaching that, you need to be sent, you, you need to be rebuked. And there are many godly men who recognize this, some of which are men of color, such as Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker. And by the way, if you didn't notice it, poor Virgil got the living snot kicked out of him for saying such things on the internet recently, and he got called every foul name in the book by black men for saying so. Why? Because there is a concept that there that the black community, and again, Virgil and Daryl both have talked about this on their program multiple times, there is a concept that the black community must somehow be monolithic. That, it, that there is no variation in thinking. So therefore, if you are black, you need to ascribe to critical race theory. And so if anyone says that a person teaching critical race theory is teaching something that is godless and anti-biblical, according to Beth, you are denying a black person a place of authority in the church. That's what she's getting at. Because Dwight's article was exactly about that. Again, go look at poor Virgil's feed. He got, you know, he got absolutely roasted by all kinds of people, especially people in the black community. And this is what happens if you're a person, if you, if you're a Daryl, if you're a Virgil, and you say, I, I, I reject critical race theory. I reject systemic racism. I reject this Marxist godless ideology. You are told you're acting white, you're playing to the white man, you're, uh, well, I won't repeat the words that sometimes these guys get called, but they get called Uncle Tom and everything else under the book. And you're saying you deny that racism exists, that you're, uh, that you, that you're promoting white pr uh, privilege that's in the church. They get called everything. Beth Moore comes along and says, we don't, you know, if you don't, you're, what you want is to not have 
men of color in positions of authority. Ludicrous statement. What is being said is critical race theory is rejected. And those who teach it are teaching godless ideologies. So therefore, if you are trying to be in a position of authority in the church and you are willfully bringing in godless ideology, we have a problem. That's, that's what's being said. Beth takes this and moves it over here and says, you just don't want men of color in the positions of authority. No, we don't want someone teaching godless ideologies that are not born out of Scripture. We don't want someone teaching something that is false. And this is what I find interesting, Rich. When we think about it, we don't have an issue with saying, hey, look, if you... Uh, want a position of authority in the church, but you believe that Jesus is the highest and best creation of God, you know, if, if you believe that, yeah, no, you need to not be in that position of teaching. Why? Because God, Christ is God. God is, he is, he is God the Son. He is the second person of the Trinity. He has always existed. He was never created. That's biblical orthodoxy. So we don't have a problem saying you don't belong in that position of authority teaching false got false doctrine. Nobody is saying, "Oh, you're uh you are you know, this race uh you're this kind of racist or this kind of gender anti-gender person if you are saying a person who teaches Jesus is a creation of God should not be in a position of church authority." Nobody is saying that. I mean, at least not that I'm aware of. Maybe they are. But it's the issue of the unbiblical ideology, this unscriptural doctrine. We don't want that taught in the church. Okay? That is what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, by the way. And so if a Jehovah's Witness came into an SBC church and said, I want to be your preacher, we would rightly say, no. You believe that Jesus is not God, you need to go. Or you need to sit in a pew, you need to listen, you need to get saved. So the issue is that of unbiblical theology and doctrine. And what's happening is with things like critical race theory, this is the litmus test. Okay? You're, you're being told that you have to accept this these people and it's when I say these people, I'm saying white, black, color of, of, of any spectrum on a color on, on the ethnic scale, anybody who teaches uh, critical race theory, you're being told you have to allow that person in because that's that's just, that's just an, an issue of difference. Well, let's go back and see what the Word of God says because it's actually right and biblical to test ideologies and theologies being brought into the church. Go back to 1 John 4, 1. And test the spirits to see if they're of God. Jesus himself said that there would be ravenous wolves that would come into the church from within our midst, Matthew 7, 15 to 20. So that's a warning to be aware of people within your own midst who would teach. Jude did in, in verse 4. Go to 1 Peter 2, 1. All of these are telling us that we put these things to the test. These are people within our ranks. They are tares among the wheat in some cases. You may have someone who genuinely believes, I think this is biblical and I have to teach this because I, I care about people and that's how this has gotten in because people haven't done the work to understand it. 
But you have people who are taking the lead and charging, bringing in false doctrine. It has nothing to do with the color of their skin or their ethnicity. It has nothing to do with their melanin count. It has everything to do with what they're seeing is unbiblical. But Beth would have you believe this is a tertiary issue. They're just mere disagreements over minor issues of theology. Therefore, if you don't want them up there teaching it, you must be against the color of their skin. And that is absolutely, patently, untrue, false, and a lie from the pit of hell. You know, the fact is that historical Christianity from the birth of the church has had to face false teachings and godless ideologies for the entire existence of the church. The reason we have church councils, by the way, was not because, oh, we need to figure out how to control the books out there. Rather, it was we have all this stuff being taught and we need to make sure we're on the same page biblically. So let's come together and talk about it. Okay, we've... We're all on this page. And so what this guy like Arius over here is saying is unbiblical. Arius is the one who kind of coined the idea that that uh, what Jehovah's Witnesses follow, follow today, that Christ is a creation, the greatest creation of God. That's what church councils were for. That's what the Reformation was for. The Reformation wasn't about white men taking control of the church. It was about rejecting false theology of the Catholic Church. The idea that you could say you're not biblical is patently false and a lie from the pit of hell. And Rich, I believe the reason we're seeing this, and to wrap this up, this is why we chose this topic tonight and why Beth has ended up on our radar again. I believe with people like J.D. Greer, with people like Beth Moore, with people like Russell Moore over at the ERLC and others, we are watching evangelical leaders redefining what is to be considered biblical. We are being told to, in some cases, to reject the clear commands of Scripture, to be discerning, to understand truth, to submit to the Word of God. And the way, the, as we go into this new, this new normal of things, this new nation that's going to be born out of the most insane election I've ever seen with a man who has said for the entirety of his campaign, he would do the things that is, it was Andrew Rappaport uh, when he was working together with Drew Vanita on matter of theology, which they, I got to listen to the second part because it was on apologetics live was the second half. But Andrew Rappaport made a point, which was spot on. The Democrat platform is what Romans one says is a sin. (laughs) Okay, he Joe Biden campaigned on this. That there is a single person that sits there and goes, I don't understand how he can now say these things. You were willfully blind because, hey, orange man bat. (laughs) Okay, that's what it boils down to. And we had evangelical Christians who were so desperate to get rid of Trump to appeal to the new order of things so that they could have some sort of voice and influence that we are now seeing the fruit of that, which is J.D. Greer saying you can have people with a false understanding of who they are 
their identity, their gender, which God gave them. They can have a false understanding of that. And I can call them by that because I don't want to offend. You, you can have Russell Moore sitting, sitting in the ERLC for years decrying everything he could about Donald Trump, but has yet to say a single thing that I've seen that has said, man, Biden sure is a bad guy. Here, let, let's here's an article about how to pray for him in this kind of gentle and encouraging way. Actually, Russell Moore has been making appeals to be the spiritual advisor mm-hmm. to Kamala Harris. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that for a second. <clears throat> and so what are we watching? And then you've got people like uh, the Saddleback pastor, Rick Warren, who recently uh, was made a lot of news when he said, oh, look, we're, we haven't met in months because we're trying to be good neighbors in Romans 13. And, and, and if you're just a church that just has worship, well, that's all you've got. And you're going to fall apart. you got to be like us. Here's my business model. And you've got people like Beth Moore who have said you have to bring in godless ideologies that are not born out of the study of Scripture to be biblical. I believe what you're going to see going forward, and it, the foundations for this have been laid for a very long time. This is nothing new. Everybody that's been paying attention knows this. But it's happening now very, very publicly, and it's happening with evangelical names like Beth Moore and others who are setting the tone for what the church should look like. And we're going to feel the... I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, and as time passes, I fear we're going to see Romans 1 more evident Mm -hmm. among professing Christians, among those in leadership positions, not only within the SBC, but any biblically sound denomination or church among America, there there are, I think the future will be solid biblical churches, but they'll be non-denominational in nature. Uh, I, at this point in time, when it comes to major denomination like the SBC, as long as you've got men and women promoting Romans 1, uh, I don't know what, only the Lord knows what the future holds, but I truly stand on what I said earlier in order to grow biblically, the SBC will have to shrink physically. I don't see any other way that it can continue to stand firm on the Word of God unless it shrinks. Exactly. But in in, in closing, I'll throw this out and let you have the last word. Um, I have, Chris doesn't know this, but next next week's episode, we're going to get to the biblical heart and application of some of the things we've discussed <laughs> for the last two weeks. Um and just keep in mind for the that <laughs> nothing nothing is hid from Jesus Christ. He knows not on only what's going on. He knows the heart. He knows the mind of man. And no sin, no hypocrisy goes unnoticed or escaped by him. And if you're a professing Christian, take that to heart because you need to look back to Matthew seven twenty one through 23 and remember what those words say. Depart from me, I never knew you. And I stand here now fearful that the vast majority of professing Christians in America will be told those words unless Christ grants them the true gift of salvation and they stop following a Christ created in their own mind and imagination. Amen. 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 So, 
here's the final point I want to make. And, and Rich, you made an excellent point about Romans 1. I'm going to read that real quick here. But why is this so important? That's because churches are going to now have to figure out where they stand. You have a lot of high-profile names and people who maybe aren't as well-known who are trying to carve out in the world this new world order that we're under, a carve out a place for themselves and carve out what the church has to look like to stand in that place. If you haven't noticed it, we are at, I believe, in America, this is going on in many other places, reaching the kind of the peak of Romans 1. And it starts with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So that's going on. Hey, I'm a good person. You can't judge me. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So creation reveals there's a God. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We see that going on right now. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. We are fully worshiping the world right now. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Sound familiar? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. Served the creature. All of the godless ideologies we've just spoken for an hour and a half on. What are they about? Man. Are they about honoring God? No, they're about honoring man. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. Sexual perversion on a grand scale. And this they did... And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, hater of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That is our nation right now. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That is the very world we live in right now. And it is the world by which so many evangelicals are courting. That they are telling us you must redefine what the church is. What is biblical? What is true? What is just? What is right? What is good? What is loving? Churches, we have to stand on the word of God. 
We cannot ad adopt these new definitions, which are all about honoring man and rejecting the truth of God. We're going to be pressured. We're going to be shamed. We're going to be called names of every sort. The churches that will stand in this kind of world will be the ones that are rejecting what God's word actually says. But the churches that will have to hide, that will have to meet in private places, that will be removed from places of social media and the internet, where we may have to exchange, go back to, hey, anybody remember cassette tapes? Those will be the churches that stand firmly on the word of God because they know that the gates of hell, hell will never prevail against it. We spent an hour and a half, much longer than I wanted to, an hour and a half breaking down what shouldn't, should have been easy for most people to see. And many people did, don't get me wrong, but she has a massive platform. And if you think that there weren't people applauding her, you're sorely mistaken. Every time she tweets something, she gets all kinds of applause. And Beth is loving every minute of it. And she put that post out there because she believes what she is bringing in is what the church should look like. And I believe she is not alone. And I believe there are many well-known faces changing the direction of what is the church is meant to be. We must be faithful to the Word of God. It is our sole source of authority in this world. So that was why it was important to do this program. I know we went really long. I, I appreciate it. Thank you for hanging with us. Um, I know it's a lot. And I know it's something we don't always want to talk about and hear about. But I think it was absolutely necessary that we talked about it. Uh, Rich's pro, you know, idea for next week, thank you for the warning. Uh, now I know what I need to study for. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't told you yet. Well you, well, you did. Now, you know, now at least I have an idea. Uh, but thank you, uh, folks, for listening to us and continuing to be part of this. Um, I, I, I'm not joking. We're coming up on five years. I think it's April, end of April should make us five years doing this. And the fact that there are so many of you that continue to listen, that's, that's just, that's such a blessing to us. And it's really weird, Rich. Um, we're starting to pop up as like names being drawn into conversations, which is not necessarily why we do this. It's not, it's just, it's weird. We, 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 we get mentioned once in a while and, and, and I, I'm not sure what I think about that. Still, still trying to process that, <laughs> but, and I, I actually may have mentioned that last show. If I did, I apologize. Um, but you guys make it to where this is something we want to continue to do. We want to continue to serve the Lord this way. We do not know what the future of this will look like, obviously. Uh, that's why I've been pushing the website. Uh, really, please, slavetothekeng.com. Go, go get signed up on the email, minimum. Okay, get You'll get the alerts. If, even if we get taken off of things like Apple Podcasts, uh, supposedly, Rich, I don't know if you heard this from Andrew, but apparently the Apple Podcast programming setup is, they're talking about a cost. So that may cost people. Uh, they, you know, they may not want to do that that way anymore. It might be how they drive out the, the voices like us. We can't afford to do it. Um, but we can still continue to put these programs out in some capacity. And we're grateful for you allowing us to be part of that. So if you find these programs to be helpful, 
share them. Yeah, encourage people to go to the website. There's a gospel presentation there, by the way. SlaveToTheKing.com slash gospel. Free for you guys to read and share with others. Okay, it's it it's just a a short presentation of the gospel. We're not saying use us as your only resource. We're just a resource amongst many. Um, but more than anything, if we've accomplished anything to make you rely upon the Word of God, look to the Word of God, then that's all we ask for. That's all we care for. Um, we're hoping we've accomplished that in some small way. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for hanging tight for a long program. Rich, any last thoughts? No, brother. Um, I'll save anything further for next week's show because um, if I get started, we'll be here another hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't. We want to give you guys some patience or uh, some some relaxation because we know that there's so many others that you're already listening to. Like if you're listening to Just Thinking and you got three hour programs, or you're listening to James White and he got he has his mega editions. You've only got so much listening time, so we'll try to be try to be a bit more. Uh, it, look, it, it, if these if we go, when we go long, if this is if this is hard for you guys to, to do, let us know. Uh, Voice of Reason Radio at gmail.com. If if you want us to tighten it up more, we would love to know that because we we always want to try to to be better. We're trying to be better with how we do these programs. So. Thank you. Or for, if you'd prefer us go three hours, let us know that too. <laughs> okay, I think I think my I think my teenage son would go insane if I kicked him out of the <laughs> office for three hours. His gaming computer is in here, um, <laughs> yeah. So maybe not three hours, but <laughs> we'll continue to. We want to be mindful of your time. So if it's a blessing to you and it's not bothering you that we go long, that's fine. I'd love to hear that. Uh, if you'd like us to tighten it up, I'd love to hear that too. Just just so we know what we're dealing with, we want to be we want to be faithful, uh, not only to especially to God, but we want to be faithful to you guys as well. So thank you for being with us. We look forward to seeing you next week. God bless. Good night. We'll see you then.